Welcome to the third episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. My name is Lillian Gabreski, and I am the Senior PR Editor at The Review. This podcast will explore a variety of issues through interviews with figures from around the world. In this episode, Editor-in-Chief Arpit Chattervedi interviews Nora Babak, who details her experiences managing the Institutional Capacity Building Program at the Interparliamentary Union. Thank you so much, Nora. So, uh, Nora, let's start discussing about uh, what does the Interparliamentary Union do, how it came about, and especially uh, what does your uh, department's work entail? Okay. Um, well, the, the ICU is the World Organization of National Parliaments. Our membership is steadily growing. We are currently at uh, 173 national parliaments, are members of the IPU. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the major regional parliamentary assemblies are also associated with the Interparliamentary Union. Um, the IPU is an organization, we have um, a strategy, we uh, a strategic plan like many organizations. And our um, current strategy is four strong democratic parliaments serving the people. Mm-hmm. Um, within um, the IPU, we have uh, programs in areas of peace and security, democracy, uh, human rights, gender equality, development, and youth. Mm-hmm. The origins of the IPU, um, well, we, the, the organization goes back a long time. It's the oldest international political organization in the world. Right. It was established in 1889, so in two years' time we'll be celebrating our 130th birthday. Wow. Uh, in the early years of, of um, multilateralism, we had eight Nobel Peace Prizes awarded to IPU personalities between 1901 and 1927. IPU debates in those early years of multilateralism have, did contribute to the establishment of the League of Nations in 1919. The IPU is transformed from a conference of parliamentarians, which had its origins, uh, into an association of national interparliamentary groups in the 1930s, uh, and then again into an organization of national parliaments in 2001. The program that I um, work in, we help build uh, the capacity of parliaments in, in, the develop, in developing countries. Uh, with a focus on post-conflict and uh, transitional democracies. I see. So, uh, what does this technical assistance that you provide to these uh, parliaments, what does it entail exactly? The, the IPU's role in strengthening representative institutions is multidimensional. Um, and what we do, what I do in my program, is we assist parliaments in developing to the full the capacity to perform their basic legislative oversight and representational roles. Mm -hmm. Other colleagues of mine um, support increased women's participation, and more recently we have another program uh, that uh, supports increased youth participation in politics. I see. Um, um, At the global level, we we do meet, we convene twice a year uh, under um, our statutes uh, in the framework of assemblies, and um, that's twice every year, and uh, issues of, of concern are, are raised and discussed formally and informally. 
And uh, it's also, these, these assemblies are an opportunity for bilaterals between parliaments. So very often, um, if a parliament wishes to discuss an issue with another parliament, uh, they, they use this uh, opportunity all the time. One of the better examples, I think, of that is um, the Falkland crisis. And um, members of parliament from both Argentina and the UK came together to discuss, and uh, it helped the whole crisis being solved. It, it was a contributing factor. I see. So, uh, if I'm understanding it right, it is uh, it serves as a forum for these uh, different parliaments to interact and uh, reach certain consensus and decisions. Is that right? Correct. So, uh, Nora, I particularly wanted to know that uh, what does it mean and what challenges do you face when you're dealing with new democracies and new parliaments and uh, what does interparliamentary do to build those institutions over there? Sure, sure. There, there, are, there are quite some challenges for the parliaments in, in uh, transitioning or post-conflict or newly formed democracies. And, and like parliaments all around the world, they're busy places with uh, intense and competing daily pressures. And, if, and especially so when they're in session. Um, so any support that, that we would provide in terms of capacity building must fit, fit well within the demands of an institution at work. Right. In, newly, in newly formed democracies or, or in transition, or, um, it's often more difficult because they have uh, additional pressing demands. Um, they're, they're learning how to, to uh, create and develop a parliamentary tradition. And uh, the example that I probably would have best there in recent years is, is in Myanmar. We are working with the Myanmar parliament. Mm -hmm. And we've been working with them since 2012. Right. So as they are, as they are creating a, a, and developing a new tradition of parliament within the country. At the same time, they have um, they, they are also building their staff and MP capacities to be able to do the work of a parliament. Um, and they are at the same time setting up a new parliament, the institution, the staff that go with it. When I first visited in 2012, um, the administration had a total staff of 120. Today, five years later, they have 1,200. So um, uh, the, the the task it's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal task of you know bringing in new staff, training them in into a parliamentary environment where one had not existed, and um, it, it tends to to um, uh, be a little bit frustrating for them because they, there is there is a wish to do more and to do things quicker. Um, however, having worked with this parliament for for five years now. Certainly some of the senior staff and some of the uh, members who have transitioned from the first parliament to the second parliament, there were elections in 2015 and a new parliament began in 2016, mm -hmm. they, they are able to look back and in hindsight and say, yes, we've come a long way. Right. Um, and so for the, the, the five years ago, they weren't able to do that, but now they're beginning to be able to see that. And so it's, um, a tradition is being, is being, um, is being created, is, is starting. Mm -hmm. Another example that we have there is um, with the, the Egyptian parliament. Uh, it's gone through many um, right. um, political developments in recent years, and including the decision um, a couple of years ago to uh, change from a bicameral house, uh, a bicameral parliament to a unicameral parliament, mm -hmm. and then absorbing all of the, um, the, the personnel of both houses into one house, which caused a little bit of a, uh, challenges in that context. Um, so that there always are uh, quite a lot of challenges. 
and, and the parliaments themselves are you know, dealing with their day-to-day -day work as well as um, reacting to um, events or incidents that happen within, within society that they would have to then uh, follow up on with, with their respective governments. So um, right. it's, it's, not, it's not easy and, and the, the most important thing for anybody providing support is to, to you know, walk hand in hand with them and make sure that the activities that are supporting don't hinder or don't become an obstacle. And uh, when you talk about walking hand in hand with them, so uh, what kind of a support does IPU provide? Uh, does it do trainings or does it do certain uh, consulting sort of a work? Uh, can you throw some light on that? Sure. Um, we do. We do. Um, well, my my team, uh, my program itself uh, looks at the institution. So it looks at. Um, the members, the staff, the committee system, maybe how plenary works, but also the services provided to MPs, and that can be research library, information management, public outreach. Um, so it can be in any of these areas. I see. Um, and then depending very much on the context of the parliament, um, a capacity building workshop um, or a skills building workshop for MPs might often look, will be on a subject which is of relevance to, to the, the, the members of parliament. In Sierra Leone, for example, some years back, um, we uh, organized a, uh, a skills building workshop on the role of parliament in overseeing revenue from extractive industries because um, say Sierra Leone is uh, quite a resource rich uh, country. And uh, when you're developing these uh, procedures uh, in these parliaments, so, from an institutional building perspective, do you follow certain best practices or do you benchmark uh, the procedures? With all of our work, uh, we, will bring, uh, we will bring the comparative experience of other parliaments. Not any one in particular. Mm -hmm. We would look more at similar political systems, similar sizes of parliaments. So um, we, that comparative um, information and experience, you know, we look at those that are more suited to the parliament we're working with. I see. Um, because it, it, um, if we if we get a comparative uh, experience from a bicameral parliament, it doesn't work for a, a unicameral parliament. So it's very much based on um, the comparative experience of others, but focused on the similar system that a parliament that we're supporting has. So it's not essentially a one-size-fits-all approach, it's uh, pretty much tailored to the needs of the people. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, the IPU has, I mean, we've been, uh, this particular program of building the capacity of parliaments we've been doing for over 40 years now. Right. And we have, we have uh, three years ago, we uh, worked on a project to bring all of the experiences that we've learned over the years but not just we, but with also with parliaments and other partners um, uh, have learned over the years. Mm -hmm. And we've put that together into a, uh, a guide that is the common principles for support to parliament. The principles have a general principle and then eight, nine specific principles. And the general principle is that effective parliaments are essential to democracy, the rule of law and human rights. And then the specific principles begin with the first principle and it is um, very much in um, uh, on purpose that we, this is the first principle because it's what we in par Parliament think is that Parliament support partners must be guided by the needs of the Parliament. So it is the Parliament itself that decides on its own destiny, not, not any external um, 
uh, organization or partner uh, because they're the only ones who know their needs. Uh, they can, they, often they might need help in shaping those or identifying them in a way that's useful to them, but um, predominantly they, they're the only ones who know. Uh, second, you know, the other principles include um, uh, that the second one in particular includes that the, 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 the it's necessary to um, ensure that um, we are attentive to mm-hmm. all contexts. Right. Yeah, there are multiple overlapping contexts, social, economic, and political, in which parliaments operate, and we, we do need to be um, to include and be be attentive to that in, 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 in providing such support. When you're doing that, so for example, talking about the specific cases of transition democracies, and especially, uh, I was intrigued by the Egyptian example that you told me that it was essentially a merger of two existing pre-existing systems. So, uh, in these transitioning democracies, and uh, let's talk about Egypt, what are the kind of risks involved? What could go wrong uh, when the institutions of parliament are fundamentally changing? Um, in transitional, particularly in transitional countries, political de- developments can, can always um, uh, change and change very quickly. Um, and it's, it's um, sometimes in, in, in a good way, but oftentimes in, in, um, in, in a not so good way, because if, if the parliament is in transition and post-conflict, or, um, they're still building and they're still, they're still um, working out how they will work together across parties or within parties or you know, how they will do things as a parliament between the executive and the parliament, between the parliament and the people. Um, and then and, and so, you know, one of the challenges for parliaments themselves is um, they're often vested with the powers in the in, in their constitutions right. to, to to do work, but because um, of various things, their own absorption capacity, the the um, amount of work that they have to do on a day to day, and additional um, challenges because they're in tra- they're coming out of transition or uh, post conflict. Um, they're often, and, and because in some countries uh, it is it is in the interest of the executive to keep a parliament weak. Um, <laughs> right. So it's uh, there, there's quite a lot of challenges for for parliaments in this context. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, I read that in uh, countries like the federal government of Nigeria, there were uh, programs on which interparliamentary union worked and the focus of those programs were improving the internal communication and constituency relations and uh, how important is uh, building these communication mechanisms within these institutions and uh, how much do you think interparliamentary union and what way it contributes in building uh, these systems? Yeah. Um, internal communication within parliaments is incredibly important, like in any other organization. And, and sometimes I think parliaments are no, are no different to, to, to a lot of organizations where there are challenges to internal communications because of um, hierarchies or because of lack of experience, particularly in, in kind of um, transitioning democracies. So when we provide support, what we have done is uh, we will um, make sure that we do a, a small flyer that goes into every MP's pigeonhole at the time. It was pigeonholes. Now I think there's emails and SMS alerts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we we try to all bring them together and just you know when if there's if we have consultants going to a particular country, we'll um, ask or we'll 
um, uh, propose to the, the speaker if the Parliament is, is in session that you might want to introduce us to let all of the MPs know what, what is happening. So through our work we, quite, we try to contribute to good practices, um, not just with internal communications, but every, every, every type of um, a good practice. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, within the parliament itself. Um, it, it's, it is, communications is incredibly important, important and um, it's, the, it's becoming a little bit easier because of um, information technology these days, uh, but still, it's, it's still uh, it, it still has a way to go. Right, and Nora, uh, a lot of our subscribers and listeners, they are uh, managing organizations or uh, are public administrators, so, from their point of view, I want to ask that you've been in institutional development and institutional strengthening building uh, as part of the Interparliamentary Union. What are the uh, top two, three lessons that you know you have learned and you'd like to tell others that these are the things that you need to keep in mind when you are doing institutional building? Um, it, it's a long-term process. It's not something parliaments, uh, either in long-established or recently established parliaments, um, have a tendency to change quite slowly. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say that the more recently established parliaments do change a little bit uh, faster and, and are more innovative <laughs> than right. the long-term established parliaments. But uh, so the, it is. It is a longer-term process, and this is one of the values. Um, this is a great advantage for uh, the interparliamentary union being a um, an organisation of national parliaments. We actually get to meet them um, on a regular basis. I was just looking, through, doing some research, going back before my time in the IPU, and I see reoccurringly that we've worked with various different parliaments. Um, you know, uh, at different stages, and some of them have gone back into a conflict and come out again, and we've assisted them post-conflict again. Right. And, and oftentimes, while MPs do um, tend to change, um, and more and more these days, staff tend to be more permanent in in uh, in um, in Parliament. Uh, so that it's a it's a it's a long-term process. Um, the other lesson that we've learned and that we, one that we, we share with all parliaments and we encourage parliaments um, is that uh, it is very important for parliaments to be autonomous, to have the independence um, both with, with regard to their human resources and to their financial resources to be able to do their work. It's, it's very much related to the question of separation of powers. Right. And um, uh, so we work a lot with parliaments in, in helping them to do that. And, and as I said, I mentioned a little earlier, many parliaments are vested with this uh, this uh, potential in uh, legal text, such as the Constitution and others, uh, but quite often don't have it in place. So uh, we, we do try to help them with that. Um, and I guess the third biggest lesson is uh, well, what have the, the basis of how we work, and that is that Parliament has to guide its own development. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we look more and more at, at uh, people and less at the institution itself because the institution is made up of people and you will have champions that will move things forward and uh, and bring others along and um, and uh, it's very important that um, you know you you get to know as, as much as important as the context is in being attentive to context and design and delivery of projects of support the same context within within the people being aware of people who know what they're doing and uh, um, they get to know them and, and then work with them um, is, is very important as well. 
just one general thought. Uh, how would interparliamentary union measure its success and uh, the institutional development work that you do, especially, let's say, working in new or transitioning democracies, how would you in the longer run measure your success? Yeah, I think that there are, um, there are different types of uh, success that can be measured and, and, and you know, there's, there's established project management uh, tools, the monitoring and evaluation that, that we would use. Um, you know, one would be example how, how, how successful have been the deliverables, so have we um, delivered a, a new um, digital repository for a parliament here and mm-hmm. and then and uh, then the second um, the second kind of um, marker of success would be in the process I mean have we first have we met kind of uh, um, target deadlines have we carried out activities within within um, within the budget right. um, have we um, have we been able to communicate about it? Um, and uh, the last uh, marker, I would say, is much more subjective because it talks about the, the success as perceived by the different stakeholders in the project. I see. Um, yeah. Whether it's an MP or a staff, um, and you know, so we look at how how well have we been able to promote collaboration and communication internally across uh, between MPs and or and or between staff. Um, and how much uh, the what what impact we've had on on um, on an MP or staff in terms of how what, what will they take out of this training or this workshop and use in their day to day and and you know the being able to evaluate or measure the practical um, tools and skills that we are able to give to people, mm-hmm. um, which is really the stakeholder success side of things. Um, and, and we do that through, for example, I, I've just returned from uh, from Myanmar, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I had a meeting with, uh, I did an informant interview with uh, a senior staff who is responsible for IC information technology, mm-hmm. and he, he basically was very um, kind in giving us his time, but explained that when he joined the parliament in 2013, he had really no idea about information technology at all, mm-hmm. and because of the um, because of the work that we've been doing, he's very much more aware of, about it. But more so from a point of view of uh, kind of planning and strategic thinking around it, as opposed to yes, you put in a data center and you have some software and uh, you have a computer. And he's very much aware now that uh, of where he wants to go in the future, and he wants to build the. Um, skills of the younger staff so that they're able to do more of the, the information technology work um, in-house, uh, which is right. not the case at the moment. Right. So it does sound like a very 360-degree uh, perspective that you, in measuring success, you evaluate how you have done and then what actually the stakeholders have taken away from all this program. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Uh, because, I mean, for, for me personally, it's, we, we, we well, for, for, for very good reasons, you have, uh, we, we receive funds from our own members and from um, development agencies, um, and, you know, we have to be accountable and, and transparent because this is, after all, taxpayer money, which parliaments are overseeing. Absolutely. Uh, but also, for, for me also, I think the, the, the more um, 
less the less tangible of, of what we do is really in, in, in the people and, and the more you can affect people's mindsets and behaviors and opinions and the more things will change and and, and uh, uh, reform and success will happen uh, more smoothly in, in parliament on that note Nora I thank you so much uh, for taking out the time for Cornell policy review and uh, I'm sure that our readers will be uh, taking a lot of learnings from this podcast it's a pleasure and we have invite you to to have uh, done the podcast with you thank you so much thank you so much Nora